are coming out of Easter Sunday, which happened last week, and if you haven't been here or if you missed some, uh, basically for the last two weeks, we went through Passion Week, which was Jesus' last uh, few days on earth as a human, and then obviously Good Friday, we read about the crucifixion, and then sun Sunday, we read about the resurrection when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he appeared to Mary and Martha, and he appeared to um, those that were closest to him. Um, after the resurrection is, I felt like, where we are now, because it's the week after Easter. So I, I felt like it would be a good idea for us to kind of see what happens after Jesus came back to life. Because um, I know last time we read that after he appeared, he broke the bread to his disciples. Um, Jesus went back up into heaven. But I guess what comes after, a lot of people maybe are not as familiar with. So it might be a good... Uh, reminder if you know it, or it could be a good uh, new thing if you haven't heard. So, yes, that is our context for today's passage. And before Jesus left, I just want to paint the bigger picture of what we're reading about. Um, when Jesus came back to life, everyone must have been, like, super happy, right? Because, and I think I, we even talked about this when we went through the book of John, but when Jesus came back to life, his followers were probably, like, Okay, I, does this mean that we won? Like, uh, we, we kind of lost to the Jews who killed Jesus. We lost to the Pharisees. But now that Jesus is back, hey, we have a chance to actually uh, getting it right now, right? Like, now there's no denying that you are the Son of God, so that uh, we're, we're on the winning team now, right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, uh, 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 I'm actually going to heaven, and I'm going to leave you again. Um, and the disciples were like, dang, man. That's it? And Jesus is like, but before I go, or after I go, I will leave with you a helper, and he will be called the Holy Spirit. Um, so our passage, to, passage today is Jesus is gone. They are kind of unsure of what to hap what's going to happen, but they do know that Jesus said a helper will come. Um, so... The, the day that this happened is called Pentecost, and it is because it is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, 50 days after Jesus came back to life and went up into heaven, we find the disciples praying inside an upper room for whatever reason, because they know that they were expecting someone or something, but they weren't sure, they weren't sure exactly what that would look like. Um, they weren't sure exactly what to expect. Like, is it going to be Jesus 2.0? Or is it going to be, like, um, some, like, new prophet that's going to come up? So they were just praying. Um, so our passage is describing this one day, Pentecost, after 50 days, we see the first arrival of the Holy Spirit. Or not the first arrival, but one of the first arrivals of the Holy Spirit. And we read that the Holy Spirit came like fire sitting on top of their heads. Um, there are not a lot of passages about the Holy Spirit. We know that God is a trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Out of the three, I'd say there is the least known information about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And because of that, there, is a lot of, there are a lot of interpretations and um, different understandings of what, of what and who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Um, I know that we as a church of the KPCA, we have one understanding, and other churches may have other understandings, but um, I think this passage is one very good 
uh, description of who he is and what he does for us and what he did for the disciples. So that's kind of what I wanted to mm, go over today. So although there are a lot of uh, passages and a lot of descriptors for who the Holy Spirit is, what I want to focus on today is the fact that the Holy Spirit is proof that God will never leave us nor forsake us. You'll find a lot of other passages that describe different nuances, but for now I want to look at the Holy Spirit is proof that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And the first, uh, the first point that I want to build off of that is the Holy Spirit connects us with other people. The Holy Spirit helps us connect with other people. So in verse 4, I'm going to read that again, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So when the Holy Spirit came, they began to speak in other tongues, it says. I don't think this tongues is the type of tongues that Jobe likes to make fun of. Um, I actually think it is pertaining to different languages. And um, I am currently taking Greek, so I might as well use my Greek. I looked up the verse, and the word other tongues is heterais, no, heterais glossais. Okay? Heterais means other. Glossais, which I assume is where we get the word glossary from, means other tongues, but in context, it means tongues from other nations. So, like a dictionary of sorts. Um, so when they received the Holy Spirit, suddenly they were speaking a new language. The moment, and this is very significant because the moment the Holy Spirit entered the room, right, as soon as the Holy Spirit entered these disciples, the gospel suddenly became spreadable. It became spreadable like butter from Cheesecake Factory. Am I right, Steve? Okay. <laughs> because think about it. At this time, the disciples only knew each other and they only spoke their own language, which I believe was uh, Arabic. <laughs> Arabic? No. Anyway. And these disciples were not very educated people. We know that because the educated people were the Pharisees and they were the ones who could read and write and they were the ones who taught but the disciples, they were like, what, fishermen, tax collectors, uh, secretary, like, whatever, whatever have you, not educated people. So not only were they probably not well-versed in the Bible, even though Jesus gave them the greatest Bible study of all time last week, they are also very undereducated, and they most definitely could not have spread the gospel to all nations as Jesus had challenged them. Right? There's, there's literally practically no way for them to preach to people in Libya or Asia when they were from Galilee, right? Just different languages. So the moment that the Holy Spirit entered the room and they learned these other tongues, that signified that the gospel now was able to be preached to every nation. That is very, very significant. Bless you. I wonder what it looked like in that room, right? Just imagine a very cramped room a small number of people praying. And I'm sure they had their doubts, right? I'm sure they were like, why are we doing this? Wasn't Jesus supposed to save us? Wasn't he, wasn't he supposed to um, build his church, as he said? But how am I supposed to fulfill the Great Commission when I don't even know what this, oh, I can Chinese, Like, suddenly started speaking other languages, I don't know where. Right? That's, that's basically what happened. For them, 
the unexpected thing was the fact that they could suddenly speak other languages, right? Physically speaking other languages allowed them to communicate the gospel to everyone that was there. And uh, as we read in verse something, uh, verse 6, uh, this the crowd around them. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So there were a lot of people from other places that didn't speak the language they were speaking. And all of a sudden they hear people speaking their own language. And they're hearing the gospel being preached. Because at the end of our passage it says that they were talking about the works of God. This is something that was not possible literally 30 seconds before this moment. They're probably just hearing some gibberish and they're like, ah, oh, some foreigners, or I'm the foreigner, so I'm not even going to listen. That is, that is what happened. So for them, it was languages. For them, the language allowed them to communicate the gospel. What does it mean for us? We all speak the same language, for the most part. We all speak English. But... My train of thought just left in my head. What did I just say? What does it mean for us? Like, they had languages. Does that mean that because I don't have the ability to speak every language on planet Earth, I cannot preach the gospel to certain sectors, and I'm just physically unable to? No, I don't think so. Right? If you look to literally your left and right, you'll find differences between you and the person you're sitting next to. The differences between us allows us to connect to people who are we are able to relate to. Right? For them, it was languages. For us, it could be like what we like to do, hobbies, what we like to eat, um, the way we interact personally with each other. You know, maybe I kind of, I, I gave a seminar at Casey Tree a few weeks ago, and I talked about um, being vulnerable with church, and this is kind of something I've mentioned, but um, maybe a lot of us, when for like the soft-spoken people in the room, something that, maybe, maybe something that you've been thinking is like, oh, I wish I could be more outgoing, like that person who is so easily able to communicate in a large group setting. Right? I, I wish, I, it's sometimes hard for me to just talk like the extroverts. And sometimes the more extroverted and outgoing people, sometimes they could say, yeah, I have no problem being in a group, but how am I supposed to get very intimate and personal with friends when I'm always just in such a large crowd? I don't really have a chance to connect very deeply and personally with individuals. Um, if that is all you, or like, that's just like two examples, but I'm sure there are many more thoughts that we feel like unequipped. If you have any semblance of a desire to serve the kingdom of God, if there's any part of you where it says, you know, I feel like, I feel like God has a purpose for me, and I don't know what it is, but I, I want to know, and I want to do it. The Holy Spirit, as it worked in the disciples, the Holy Spirit will work in you to use your gifts and your talents and your quirks to spread the gospel. Whether it is through words, whether it is through actions, whether it's through just being friends and making relationships, the Holy Spirit will work with you in your own way. Um, and that's, I think that's a, very encouraging, because it's like, oh, God can use me. Right? I, I, I know in college, especially at Crossway, when a lot of us kind of are very loud and, what's the word, boisterous? Is that a word? <laughs> um, it, could be, it could be easy to get sucked into the, the group and say, like, yeah, we're, we're really tight-knit, but 
it's hard for me to feel like, like I have a place in this church. But no, I think the Holy Spirit and God would say, hey, I, I picked you to be here. I created you the way that you are. I, I formed your personality, I formed your character, and you don't think I'm gonna use it? You don't think I have great purposes for who you are? Nonsense. <laughs> I, I did a, I served at a VBS with my home church a few years ago. Eugene was actually there. Um, and man, those kids were like so freaking annoying. They would just not sit down. Um, but I remember one day, one of the, one of the, we were talking about the Holy Spirit one day and the curriculum, I remember I read it and I was like, wow, this is actually like very profound, very, very deep and very good. Um, he would, the, the curriculum said, the Holy Spirit is a helper. And the way we can imagine what the Holy Spirit does is with this acronym, HELP, H-E-L-P, okay? H stands for heart. The Holy Spirit enters our heart. And guess what? When it's in our heart, the Holy Spirit is there to stay forever, whether we like it or not. But I hope you like, I hope you like it. If you got to that point that I received the Holy Spirit, I hope you like it. The Holy Spirit enters our heart forever. E stands for ears. Our ears. The Holy Spirit will communicate with us and it will push us to do the will of the Father. It will say, hey, why don't you reach out to that person? Hey, why don't you, why don't you start uh, reaching out to the underclassmen? Why don't you start reaching out to upperclassmen? Why don't you get a meal with someone? Why don't you X, Y, Z? L stands for legs. Not only will the Holy Spirit communicate to you what it thinks you should do, it will push you to do it. Um, it's one thing to be like, you know what, I should, I should hit that person up. But it's another thing to pick up, the, pick up yourself and maybe text or walk to them and be like, hey, what are you doing this week? Um, the Holy Spirit helps us in doing that. And P stands for people. The, the, the characteristic of the Holy Spirit is not a one-on-one -on -one type of thing. The Holy Spirit is in all of us. So because of that, it is a, an aspect where the Holy Spirit unites us with other people, and it also attracts others to ourselves, too. And yeah, when I, when I read that, I remember thinking, like, man, this is, this is so good. Um, but what's interesting about the Holy Spirit is, though we know so little about it, um, we kind of like to fill in the gaps of our knowledge. Right? We, we know that God is the Father person. We know that God is the Son person. Holy Spirit is like, is that like the force in Star Wars? Or is it like maple syrup? Um, when I'm saying I'm filled with the Spirit, am I talking about like, I'm filled with like chicken wings from freshman year or something? But the Holy Spirit is a distinct person of the Trinity. He has distinct roles. And he is present in us. Holy Spirit is present in us. And the Holy Spirit was promised to us by Jesus himself when he left. I will provide you a helper. And that is what we're reading, and that is what we're learning now. Like, who? we learned the acronym H-E-L-P. Who's going to do that? It is literally the Holy Spirit. He's a person, he's alive, and he's helping us. The second... Uh, the second thing I think we can learn about the Holy Spirit in this is the Holy Spirit, which I just said, dwells in us. So the Holy Spirit connects us with other people, helps us externally. 
The Holy Spirit internally dwells in us. Verse 3, And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. I'm going to read that again. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. So, uh, I don't know if you remember, but on Good Friday, I kind of briefly talked about the, the Israel, Israelites and how they carried around the presence of God. And they carried it around in the tabernacle. Um, so the tabernacle was this gigantic room. I'm going to redeem myself a little bit. But the tabernacle was a gigantic room, big tent. Within the tent, there were smaller tents. And within the smaller tent, there was the holy of holies, the most holy place. We can read a little bit about that in the Old Testament, but thankfully there's also another passage in Hebrews which describes it as well. So I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it. Hebrews 9, 1 through 4. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. So what that said was big room, second room, most holy. Between the most holy and the second room, within the second room, basically, we notice, I'm going to read that little part again, um, in which were the lampstands. So the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know for sure who he was, but the writer of Hebrews, he, he makes a distinct point to say there were lampstands in this room, in this inner room, but not the inmost room. That's very interesting to me. I don't know if it is to you, but... I'm going to dive a little deeper into the lampstands part. Okay, so reading from Exodus chapter 30, verses 7 to 8. So this is actually the laws given to the Israelites when they were in the desert. Exodus 30, 7 to 8. And Aaron, who was the high priest at the time, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps, the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. So, starting with Exodus, when Israel was by themselves, someone named Aaron, and after Aaron, the continuous high priest, would light the incense, the light these lamps. Um, I would like a volunteer. No, I'm not going to volunteer. Mm-hmm. Grace, can you come up for a second? You just stand here. You don't have to say anything. So, going back to our passage, when the disciples prayed, it said that there were tongues of fire on them. I don't know what a tongue of fire exactly is, but to me it looks like this. Right? As they prayed, a fire was lit on their heads. Can someone tell me what grace looks like right now? Who said that? A candle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> Looks a lot like a candle. Right? Huh. Interesting. Interesting. 
I'm just going to jump ahead. In Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about our prayers. You and, my, you and me, our prayers being incense that goes up to the Lord and He delights in. Our prayers are like incense that goes to God. So I hope you see how it's all connects. Right? Back in the Old Testament, when, when, when uh, Israel was wandering in the desert and they were saying, how, how can we see God? So God says, okay, build this golden box called the Ark of the Covenant, multi-million dollar box, I will be there. Around the box, you will have a room, most holy place. Around that room, you will have candles. You have to light these candles, and this incense will come to me, and that will be like an offering to me. Now in Acts, we see that the, the Holy Spirit has landed on each of the disciples as fire. Right? And what were they doing when the Holy Spirit came? They were praying. Okay? When they prayed, the Holy Spirit came, and they became the candles that were in the holy place of the tabernacle. Ooh. Because of that moment, ever since that moment, when we pray, when I pray right now, it is like I am a candle lighting an incense to the Lord as an offering. Um, I think a lot of questions, or a lot of Christians, when they hear about prayer, and when they hear about, when they read about like passages like this, like, wow, a fire lit on their heads? Or wow, Jesus came back from the dead? How do I know what God is telling me? Right? Sometimes I just feel like I'm praying to nothing. How do I know if I'm praying for the right things? How do I know after I pray I'm doing the right things? If I'm doing the wrong thing, am I, am I doing something worse than before? I feel like that's a big question that a lot of us have. In our passage in Acts, there was literally no dialogue from God. No voice. No good job, disciples. None of that. But the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit came. For them, I guess they got lucky because they could see it. But I, I want us to believe and hear that the Holy Spirit is in us. If we believe and if we accept Jesus into our hearts, it is not literally Jesus per se in our hearts, but it is the Holy Spirit. Ever since Pentecost, ever since this day, we became able to pray directly to God through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. That's kind of like why we uh, pray that in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, Joe Bay actually is a very big like proponent or yeah proponent of making sure you say in Jesus' name I pray at the end of every prayer. Even his meme prayer like rub it above thanks for the grub yay God. He always says, in Jesus' name I pray. He doesn't say amen, because I guess for him it's like, I am praying in the name of Jesus, because he's the one who died for me. I am praying to God the Father, because he's the one who is my father. I can do this now. 
I am praying now through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is in me. He might not, and probably won't, answer your prayers audibly. Unfortunately. He will 100% be there in your prayer. Whether or not he answers it the way that you want, whether or not he answers it in a timeline that you want, he hears your prayers. It is someone actively listening, someone actively desiring to hear from his children. Even if your prayer is not a request, it is not, dear God, can I get this? Even if your prayer is, God, I had an effing bad day, or God, I had an effing great day, the Lord delights in our prayers as he delights in the incense that is offered to him. Because of this, because of the fact that the Lord hears us, that is more than enough to change us to be more like him. I'll say that again. Because God is present in our prayers, that will change us to be more like him. When we become more like him, we will know more of what he wants. So, going back to that question I asked, how do I know what God wants? You know what God wants because you become more like him. And when you do that, what he wants will become what you want. That's amazing. That's like a, at least to me, it sounds amazing. And maybe, maybe it could sound very intimidating. It's like, oh, more of what God wants. Does that mean I have to give up certain things in my life? Maybe. Right? You might have to give up some things in your life. And hey, if, if you're hearing this and you're saying there's a chance that you might lose blank in your life by becoming more like God, and you're, that scares you, and that's like, oh, maybe not, then that's a reflection of who's God in your life, um, honestly speaking. That's all I said about that. So we become the candles. Our prayers go up to God. Verse 12 to 13 of our passage today. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. Um, this is our last point for today. We are filled with the new wine. The Holy Spirit filled us with new wine. I know that that last verse, others mockingly said they are filled with new wine. They were clearly being sarcastic. Like, oh, they're probably drunk. That's why they're speaking in randomly different languages out of nowhere. But they literally could not have phrased it better. <laughs> right, last week, Joe talked to us about the way that disciples recognized Jesus was when he broke the bread. That reminds us of when Jesus did the Last Supper, the final communion, or the first communion. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus broke the bread, they were like, that's Jesus, because he did it, and now we remember him. Not only did he break bread, but he poured wine in the cup, and he said, this is my blood uh, poured out for you. When they drank of the wine and symbolically drank of Jesus' blood, they were filled with new wine. In other words, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is new because before this, there was no presence of God in people. God was an external force, external person, 
Jesus was a human being. There was no Holy Spirit dwelling in and among the people. But because of this day, the Holy Spirit enters us and that becomes our new wine. <clears throat> so remember when I said that the presence of God dwelt in this multi-million dollar golden box and if they wanted to hear from God, they would have to enter the Holy of Holies. They'd have to sacrifice an animal. A high priest would have to tie a rope around his leg, walk in with bells, and he hears from God, he comes out, and he relays the message. That box was like, I don't know how big it was, but it was like definitely freaking huge, and it was laced with like lots and lots of gold. <clears throat> I want us to think, God chose and chooses to be among us and in us more so than he chooses to be in that box of gold. How much more are we worth to God than this multi-million dollar house? <clears throat> so, we have the Holy Spirit. Um, and because of the Holy Spirit, we become more like Jesus. And I sang, I mean, I didn't sing, um, I, I described BBS before. There's this other BBS song that <laughs> we were singing it, and it's just like, man, this is so good too. Um, he just goes, He's changing me, my precious Jesus. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow growing, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I will be. Yes, one day perfect I will be. Um, I'll, I'll say it. I won't sing it. I'll say it. Sometimes it's slow growing, but there's a knowing that one day perfect that will be. He's changing me, my precious Jesus. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And we can confidently say this because we have the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we praise you. And we love you. And in days that we don't, help us. Help us through your Holy Spirit. And there is so much we don't know about you. There's so much we don't know about your Son. There's definitely so much we don't know about your Spirit. But you gave us these passages. You gave us these nuggets of wisdom to get a glimpse into your character. To get a glimpse of what you did before and what you were doing in us now. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of your spirit. We wouldn't be afraid of what you might do with us or do to us. But that we would be bold in our prayers and we would say, use me, Lord. Equip me, change me, sanctify me. So that I may be more like you. We thank you, Father, for your spirit that you help us every day in whatever circumstance we are knowing our names, for loving us deeply, 
decide on. Um, yeah, and as we close out the semester, and we finish strong, not just because of any bragging rights or just because someone else wants us to, but let us finish strong because you spur us on to do well. Um, let us finish strong, not just academically, not just whatever, but let's finish the semester together in a way that we look back and we're like, God was there. God was present. And I'm, I'm so happy and so glad that I was able to witness what God had done in my life. We love you, Lord. And we